Hello and welcome to Centre for Mental Health's podcast, where we explore ideas around mental health, equality and social justice. I'm your host, Thea Joshi, and on the podcast we talk to people with lived experience in mental health problems, or those working in a specific area, about engaging in the fight for equality in mental health. So earlier this month, I sat down with Chantal Goodridge and Jamie Martin, who are counsellors at Off The Record Croydon, to hear a bit more about their work supporting young people who've been affected by youth violence. And this was such an eye-opening conversation. I learned loads about the real multifaceted challenges faced by the young people they're working with. We talked about this misleading and deeply unhelpful label of people as hard to reach, and the distinctive approach off the record takes to meet young people where they're at. And if this is something you want to learn more about, we've done several pieces of work on this topic about alternative approaches to young people's mental health support, and I'll link to those in the show notes. And you might have also noticed that we've had a rebrand, and I hope you agree that we're looking bolder, fresher, and braver with our new look. We'd love to know what you think about the podcast, the brand, or just our work in general. You can contact us via the website, or connect with us on socials at Centre for MH. Hope you enjoy. I am really excited to be here today with Chantal and Jamie, both from Off the Record Croydon. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Oh, it's so exciting to have you on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to hearing a bit more about Off the Record and the work that you're doing. So I am going to just dive straight in. I know that Off the Record provides free and independent counselling for 14 to 25 year olds in Croydon but um, please can you just tell me a little bit more about the organisation? Yep so that's right Um, we are a charity who support young people um, age 11 to 25 actually living in um, living working studying or have a GP in the boroughs of Croydon, Sutton or Merton and we have a range of support services so we've got Uh, a number of counselling services, face-to-face counselling, online counselling. We've got the RAS service uh, who supports uh, young people who are refugees and asylum seekers and we may bring in interpreters if if appropriate. We've got other support offers like support for parents or carers, parents or carers of young people who are struggling with self-harm for example, of course, we've got the Chris team, which we're talking about today. Um, and yeah, we're just sort of constantly trying to develop new projects. We're trying to use our youth ambassadors and bring them into um, to talk about, you know, what young people need and what they want for their for their mental health, really. The support line as well. So we've got a support line so that if there's any kids in crisis and I think that was about it, really. Um, Chantal basically said everything. Yeah, so off the record have been, gosh, I want to say around for about 30 years and there's off the record in Bristol I think there's another off the record somewhere else is it Liverpool Liverpool, yeah right yeah so you know there's a number there's a number of different off the records although um you know I think Croydon might be the biggest I say that with a question mark I think it must be the biggest because we're across a number of boroughs and online and everything like that Amazing. Um, And so I know, as you just mentioned, that you guys both work in a service um, supporting young people who are affected by youth violence. you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so our service, um, yeah, basically uh, does what it says on the tin. So we support uh, young people who have been affected um, by serious youth violence in Croydon. So um, any child, young person who has seen, you know, maybe like a stabbing or 
you know, uh, friends being beaten up or family member lost, um, we support them and we offer them counselling or um, mentoring, um, maybe going to meet them on outreach, taking them out um, and just that giving them that support with some of the, the issues that have come about because of um, what they may have seen. I think um, the only thing I'd add to that is just a bit of context, really, because regrettably youth violence is is a real issue in Croydon at the moment I think it was named as um London's knife crime capital in 2021 and it I think 2021 was worst on record for teenage murders in London and uh, I think if I remember correctly Croydon accounted for about 17 percent of that and that was more than any other borough unfortunately Um, Positively, though, really great news, really positive was that um, there was a big improvement in 2022 and we saw no lives lost um, due to youth violence in Croydon, which is really, really great. Um, That doesn't mean that we are working any less, though, unfortunately. Um, We just saw some recent stats produced which uh, showed that Croydon was number one, uh, the number one London borough in terms of volume of teen violence victims, which was a around 50% more than the London average, if I remember correctly. So, you know, we're still still working hard, but absolutely wonderful that we didn't have to support anyone um, as a result of someone losing their life to youth violence in 2022. And hopefully that's how it will continue. Yeah, wow, those are really sober statistics, aren't they? And the fact that um, people who are so young are having to deal with such incredibly, um, yeah, hard and tragic things. It's, it's really, yeah, it's like quite shocking. And I guess I'm just sort of thinking, you know, for people who don't work in this area, who might be very, um, for whom this might not be kind of a, a daily reality, I'd love to just like know a little bit more about the kind of young people that you're working with, the sort of needs that they've got and how you're seeking to work with them to support them. So, yeah, um, the types of young people we work with um, are, it, it really ranges to be truthfully honest with you, because youth violence doesn't really like have a specific like oh you're from this community or you're from this area it's 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 really a range of um of young people that come to us in terms of like needs and stuff sometimes just like someone to talk to someone to process a lot of the um trauma that they that they've gone through um also as well sometimes if we have like longer with them um it may evolve into like what other things do you offer in terms of like jobs and this is why we kind of work closely with some some partners to try and like send them and refer them on to you know places where they can go and you know play football or or something like that. Um, so yeah, that's about that, that. I know there's probably more that I've left off. Uh, Chantel is there? Yeah, no. I mean, he Jamie, you covered most of it. You know, like he said, we do work with a real variety of young people um, with a range of complex needs and risks so you know as you can imagine we work with survivors we work with perpetrators of youth violence um, people who've been robbed people who have been held up at knife point um, attacked you know you can you can imagine anything that sort of falls under that uh, one thing that we do see alongside the sort of key presenting issue of youth violence are other issues such as county lines involvement and maybe grooming and exploitation gang involvement 
uh, and things like that. So we, they often come hand in hand. We often see that quite often they might come to us just having witnessed something or been, um, you know, been involved in something like youth violence, but we're also dealing with other key things that we see quite often. And um, I think another thing to add is just that the young people that our service is, is sort of targeted towards, um, they would be considered hard to reach. What that essentially means, of course, is that, you know, they're not easily accessible. It's hard for us to get to them. Um, they're certainly underrepresented in therapy and just difficult to engage in mental health conversations, really. So, you know, I heard Jamie say, you know, the young people that come to us, oftentimes they're not necessarily coming to us directly, um, which we can talk a little bit more about. But I think a key point is that we have to work extra hard to ensure that there's a piece of work at the end of it for whatever reason that is um, it doesn't it's certainly not perhaps the sort of generic counselling model that many counsellors would be familiar with um, and a lot of counsellors would really struggle with with working in the way we do too. Yeah thanks that's so helpful and, and it's something we have actually come back to quite a few times on this podcast about this this uh, concept or label of being hard to reach and how it's placed on um, different people or different communities or different ages people who don't easily fall into that kind of very specific traditional counseling model and and we see this a lot and especially young people being labeled as hard to reach um and and just kind of really calling out the myth of that whole narrative right and that whole label and actually saying these people are not hard to reach as that services aren't reaching them and that's something we've we've talked about time and time again in different projects and i'll link in, in the show notes we did some work last year with Project Future and with Centre 33, both looking at kind of alternative ways of engaging young people in, in more informal ways, um, in ways that really reach young people where they're at, rather than expecting them to kind of fit into the, that mould sort of thing. I'd love to know a little bit more about like how you engage them and, and how that kind of maybe looks different to the sort of more traditional approach. One of the things that we've done that's been really popular, that has been really different, was the barbershop work. Because we know that in communities, the barbershop really is probably the barbershop and you know Jamaican shops chicken shops but like barbershops are really like the hub of a lot of communities so um what we did was we basically got in touch with barbers who kind of had like had quite high standing in the community and we got them to do free haircuts but while they're doing the free haircuts we basically have conversations about mental health with with them and even with the barbers as well so I know Chantel did a bit of work where she went and also gave was it stab kits to the barbers Chantel um yes they were um oh gosh what were they called they weren't called stab stab kits I, I might have to come back to you with the official name for them but it was an initiative created by a, a mother of a young boy who died in Croydon and I think you know the general feeling is that if these were readily available in sort of key places around the borough that actually young people or anyone who's got sort of a really huge wound that needs tending to would have a much higher um, chance of survival so um we put some defibrillators in barbershops as well just because you know in the communities that we're working in and we train them as well and how to use them you know actually they they may help save lives in our communities but yes sorry just to add to what Jamie was saying as well I totally didn't even remember the barbershop work so thank you Jamie but yeah we off the record have actually got a barbers network so we have a number of barbers across 
Merton, Sutton and Croydon, who are part of our network and who we really work closely with. And every half term we hold trim and grin events yeah. where we, you know, we put out lots of advertisements and we let the, we choose a barber and we hold um, just an open day where young people can just come all day and get their hair cut for free. And, and we just have, we sort of post up in there and have mental health conversations, like Jamie said. It's really powerful, really, really important work. Oh, I just love that. It's so incredible because I feel like that's a really obvious example of two things, which is one is like making a service that's culturally informed, recognising that barbers are actually a really massive uh, cornerstone in the community sort of thing and, and the power that they have as a like a social space. And then two, bringing um, support to where people are at rather than expecting them to come through the doors of a potentially quite clinical environment or something which potentially has um, people have misconceptions about or misgivings about or stigma you just meet people where they're at um, with the support they need um, and that's yeah that's really really exciting you were mentioning before we hit record that um, you guys uh, do sort of a hybrid mix of um, in-person counselling face-to-face and also sort of telephone and online um, and maybe you could just tell me a little bit about that so uh, what we found um, with a lot of the young people that we worked with is where we are based, maybe because Croydon is such a big borough, um, some of them may be coming from the other side of the borough and there may be maybe gang activity in the place where we are. So a lot of the people we work with are um, OK to do telephone sessions. Um, also, just going back on something that you said just a minute ago about meeting like young people where they are that's something that we do as a um, service as well so for instance I've, I've held basic counseling sessions in like car parks um so I've met young people um in their estates and basically had had sessions because they felt uncomfortable coming in so they can if they want to we do see people in the building but we are very open to meeting them in the park or taking them for something to eat as long as it's safe and confidential and um doing a zoom session which doesn't really happen but we're open to it that's so cool and I think um we did a piece of research we launched um in December about kind of remote mental health technologies and the way that they're being used and I think that's an example of of how they're being used really really well to improve access and so instead of saying you've got to come to this place in a place where you might not feel safe you're saying actually again we can meet you where we're at we can have a phone call we can do x y and z and and it's really exciting to see how that kind of technology is opening up opportunities for some people to access support. So I was going to ask a little bit about kind of have you seen changes in the types of issues that young people are, are coming to you for support with? So um, I had a good think about this, actually. And I think the last three years have been, I mean, really intense, really, really tough on everyone in the world, you know, especially for young people. and you know, COVID, we're coming off the back of COVID. I mean, not necessarily completely out yet, but I feel I feel like we'll be seeing the impact of COVID for many, many years to come. And we, we probably don't have a real sense of the COVID trauma and just all the, the impact that will come with it. Another key thing that happened in the last three years is, of course, um, the death of George Floyd, which felt like a really pivotal moment in time um, around the whole world, too. So I think with those two key events in mind, um, you know, there were, there's been many other things, but just with those in mind, I think the themes of loss 
and identity for me certainly in the work I was doing seemed to really come come up a lot um so you know for example uh, you know for in terms of loss through covid they've lost key moments of their lives you know key key things that we all probably took for granted as adults you know being able to go to their prom being able to sit GCSEs which we resented at the time but actually a lot of young people <laughs> yeah. didn't have that option um, yeah. and therefore their life probably took turns because of that um in terms of identity um I'm thinking of identity in terms of sort of off the back of George Floyd's death I think identity in, in terms of like a lot of young people were asking themselves you know who am I what do I stand for who, where do I place myself in these really tense conversations and um I think there were lots of really difficult conversations lots of families were split in terms of really difficult opinions and things like that so I think identity a lot of people really sort of found a lot of strength and found that found their voice and so there's lots of positive but I think identity felt like a key theme for me in terms of currently I think I think the cost of living crisis feels like a key area so you know a lot of the young people we're already supporting come from disadvantaged backgrounds and so we are really concerned about the impact that the cost of living crisis is going to have on our young people Um, you know, I work with young people who feel the pressure to help mum pay the bills, um, the pressure to because they are the man of the house or or need to sort of provide. Um, you know, I, I have a, a young man who I work with in mind when I think of the cost of living crisis that I worked with many years ago, who um, I remember he had a young family and a baby on the way. And you know, he said, I have one pound to my name and the only thing I know how to do is rob people, you know, which feels it's so devastating when you think of that, that they sort of it's so desperate. And I think um, we're just really aware in terms of the work coming up for us that, you know, we are going to be facing really desperate times and young people who yeah. are really, really desperate. So we're trying to think about ways we can support them. And we're sort of putting some stuff together, too. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Jamie. I think you you basically said it all. Um, I what yeah. So definitely, right now, the cost of living crisis. Um, so exactly what Chantel said in terms of like some of the young people who I'm working with, it almost feels like they're faced with a decision as to do I sit this and struggle, or do I go down that route where I will be making money, but it's probably going to be illegal. And yeah. again, you know, they're not they're not silly. Like they know they go home and there's no power. Or you know, I've been told stories of young people eating cereal with water. Do you know what I mean? Having to eat like rice and tuna fish all week. So yeah, and 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 that kind of thing can push a young person who maybe doesn't really want to live a certain way into going into that certain way of living. Um, but I think it's only going to get worse because um, we're seeing it in the service. And I, I, I only think it is actually just going to get worse. I just thought there, Jamie, of another young man. I remember asking him, you know, what do you want people to know about you and people like you? So this was a young black boy. And he he said he wants people to stop looking at him like he's a criminal. You know, he said that people don't understand that he was 15 years old he said that a young 15 year old boy whose mum can hardly pay the bills um 
you know, they can't go out and get a job. No one's going to employ them. Whereas perhaps, you know, a young a young 15 year old girl could go and sort of sweep some floor in, in the hairdressers and get a bit of change. Whereas they're really stuck and they're really sort of, like Jamie said, at a bit of a crossroads. Do I make a decision, take risks, do things that are perhaps, you know, risky for a number of people? Or do I allow me and my family to to suffer you know it's really it's really hard and I think one thing that that's really come about in in the work is just really humanizing these young men who are making decisions that are not right for them but actually there's a story behind it you know there's 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 meaning behind it it's deeper than just I want to go and do this they don't want to do this mm, that, and I, I think that is the thing as well is they actually don't want to do this I mean, thank you for sharing that because I think people need to hear the reality. Um, but yeah, it's devastating, isn't it? I find it devastating. And also, <laughs> uh, quite often we talk about my anger on this podcast, so apologies, but it gets me so angry, you know, that we live in one of the richest countries in the world and yet we are in a situation or, or some people are in a situation where they are really feeling like they don't have any options left, right? That's that's fundamentally wrong and you know obviously for us here at the center we are very much talking about the cost of living we're talking about poverty and the, and the toxic impact it has on mental health you know we've been calling for some specific things from the government in in terms of kind of really thinking again about benefit conditionality and benefit sanctions um in the midst of a cost of living crisis that are really um just making things even worse for people and and i can link more to that in the show notes but yeah, I mean, just thank you for what you shared there. And yeah, we're, we're totally clear this is not okay. And something like the cost of living crisis, like living in poverty, like not having options for employment, they have really devastating impact on young people's mental health and, and mental health across their lives, right? Which is why it's so devastating and why we will continue to keep calling for, for more support, for tackling child poverty and really for prevention early on. And there's And there's no point... I keep banging on about this, but there's no point in us talking about preventing mental health problems with one hand and taking people's ability to earn a living on the other hand. You know, we can't give with one and take with the other because we won't end up better mental health for all. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think um, just to add to that, that's Jamie touched on on it earlier where we are recognizing that these young men you know yes they absolutely could do with some mental health support from us but they are also desperate for some real practical help as well and you know while we may not be able to do that we really want to have a rich contact list where we can say right okay you need help writing your cv go see my my not my friend you know my colleague at you know this this organization here and um you know another thing we found for example with getting jobs is you know some a lot of young men don't know how to tie a tie they don't know how to, the, the sort of interview etiquette they don't they don't know these things that perhaps um, for those who may not have had a father figure in their lives would have shown them, you know, that there's some real gaps in their knowledge and, you know, they don't necessarily know to have eye contact and sit up and smile. You know, they haven't been taught these, these very key things that you or I might take for granted. And that's something we're really recognising and we really want to add to you know, it's not just let's sit down for one-on-one -on -one generic counselling face-to-face in the counselling room. What else do we need to make your life better? You know, how can we help to do that? So one thing I've noticed as well is 
um, when I've done like after calls, so once maybe I've worked with someone for six months or whatever, and I've done maybe a call, um, maybe six months after we've worked, I normally find that the, the, the boys or girls who've got jobs are perfectly fine. It's almost like, oh, you know, I'm working now, you know, I'm all right. I'm getting a little bit of changing. I'm getting, I'm, I'm doing all right. Whereas the ones who kind of haven't been able to sort themselves out with either college or jobs, they kind of fall back into that kind of lifestyle or um, similar things. So it's, it's really important that we do, which we have basically done is um, we've got a link with the job center. So um, trying to refer people on to see if, they can give help. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why, um, you know, part of our work is around employment support and supporting people into work with, because we know that when it's meaningful and it's not sort of um, a result of benefit sanctions, when it's something someone's chosen to do, that, you know, it gives people a basic income, it gives them um, purpose and drive and motivation, new skills, all of these really, really good things. And, you know, as you say, if people are earning a bit of money, that contributes to getting out of poverty and you know which is which is critical I mean it's it's difficult because in some ways this is not hard stuff you know it's not rocket science it's like we all know what is necessary for people to have the building blocks for good mental health and yet we sometimes see yeah mental health in kind of a weird vacuum where it's all just about your feelings um as a very much as an individual there's no sense of like wider context family social circles um, so yeah, it's great to hear that you guys are taking a really like holistic approach to supporting people's well-being. That's that's amazing. Hey everyone, Holly from Centre for Mental Health here, interrupting this brilliant conversation just to quickly let you know about our festival of ideas. From February to June, we'll be hosting an event each month to consider the five giants that affect people's mental health: poverty, racism, a good start in life, climate change, and mental health services. The series kicks off in February with an event exploring how we can end toxic poverty to improve mental health. We'd love you to come along. All the events are online and free to attend, although we do appreciate donations. Learn more and sign up on our website. The link's in the show notes. All right, now let's get back to Thea, Chantel and Jamie. I wonder what you guys would say about kind of what needs to change in terms of mental health provision for young people. As you've mentioned, it's it's just a really difficult climate at the moment for uh, young people and services providing mental health support for young people. So when I was thinking about this, I thought it would be really good to sort of think about the way, um, you know, off the record has sort of created change in terms of our own provision for um, for support. So we've sort of touched on it already, but I think. The key places are, of course, meeting young people where they are, like we've said. Um, so this is, of course, where our outreach work comes in um, and probably important to note, you know, off the record, other than I think the Chris service is a self-referral service. We are, of course, the self-referral service too. Um, but, you know, generically a young person would refer them you know they would recognize for themselves they need some support they would refer themselves so contact us themselves um wait on the waiting list until they get to the top and then as soon as we're ready for them we call them and they come to us in the building you know it's really easy stuff um in terms of sort of the generic way um approach but i think like we said for our cohort of young people that we really want to to see sitting across a room with a with a counsellor one-on-one talking about their mental health it is just 
so intimidating for many young people. Um, so yeah, you know, this is where we're different. If a young person did lose their lives to youth violence, then we would get out there as soon as possible and as soon as appropriate to the street memorials where people were laying flowers, where young people were gathering and just, you know, be a presence, offer support as and when, you know, just there on the street, have mental health conversations, let them know that we're around if they need, you know, give out our sort of cards so they know there's free support if they need us. Um, we're, we're sort of being proactive and reactive at the same time, if you know what I mean. We yeah. meant you know, meeting people where they are, like Jamie said, because of postcode wars, we just simply can't expect young people to come to us in the building. So, you know, the reality is we won't be seeing them at all. We will not be reaching them at all if we sit and expect them to come to us, like in the generic counselling services. And I think, um, I think uh, what's really worked for us is how quick we're able to engage the young people. So for the Chris service, we try not to let any young person just sit on um, the waiting list and if they do have to sit on the waiting list which is very rare we always do checking calls so we always call them maybe once a week just to say look I'm just letting you know we're just trying to allocate your counsellor um, how are you doing and it's almost like a mini counselling session um, before they start their actual counselling support so that's one way in which I feel like we're quite different and off the record it is very diverse anyway but our service is actually very diverse. Um, so when we're engaging the young people, they're coming and they're seeing a counsellor that looks like myself, a counsellor that looks like Chantelle, a counsellor that looks like one of our other, other colleagues, uh, Leanne. And I think that's very rare for a lot of young people to, the word counselling, and they associate something else <laughs> with that and not us. Um, so I think that's what really, them two specific things really work for us, the, how quick we are and how diverse our service is. Mm. Yeah, and i I got to just jump in there because, again, this is something that we've talked about on the podcast. But but as you've said, seeing people who look like you as the counsellor um, in that in that position of support is is massive. And I think often it's kind of um, it's, it's sort of underestimated the power of that or, or the challenges when your therapeutic workforce doesn't reflect the people who are coming through the door seeking help. Obviously, every counsellor supports people who are different to them in lots of different ways. But there's something about, you know, when we're asking why, um, especially, say, young black men aren't getting the support they need with their mental health, we have to look at the complete underrepresentation of of black people and any people from racialized communities in the therapeutic workforce to kind of go well maybe that's part of the problem there so um yeah great to hear that so so we went into a, a school uh, in i think it was january last year young young boy got killed um and we went in to support some of his friends and i think it was like 10 of his friends and we did like a, we did some group work with them and they some of them were really shocked when we came in um and I remember one of the boys saying, oh, I've had counselling before. And he didn't even know what Call of Duty was. And <laughs> so this is the importance of being able to understand your clients. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm. Yeah, I think, you know, that's one of the best things for me is, you know, we're 
as a service and as counsellors, we're sort of challenging these stereotypes of, you know, what a counsellor looks like, what, what counselling is. Um, and actually, I always use this quote, but um, we got a quote from our the youth offending team who was sort of asking their young people about their ideas about counselling. And, you know, word for word, it's um, the belief was, you know, all counsellors are white people who don't know what it's like and live perfect lives. So, I mean, you know, of course, I mean, we know yeah. that that's <laughs> not true. You know, that's not absolutely mm. true. But I think the key point here is, you know, the reality is these are ideas that are out there. These are these are yeah. perceptions that are out there that young people are thinking and feeling. Um, so, you know, with us being from minority ethnic groups, um, you know, some and not all, but some people and young people respond better to people who they feel look like them or who might be able to you know provide a I guess a more culturally sensitive approach we we also wear like hoodies and sort of track suits and caps and trainers we're really comfortable with sort of it's really informal and we try our best to use sort of simplified language and slang where appropriate we have to sort of keep up to date with the slang um but yeah I think you know one thing I found is that, you know, our use of language, our dress sense and our sort of street credibility is sort of continuously assessed by the young people we work with. And, that, you know, they can be quite quick to write us off. Um, oh, as gosh, a result I wouldn't of that. have a chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I have the same experience as Jamie that, you know, often when I go in and I meet a young person they are really shocked that I am the counsellor because they they had sort of I guess in a way these fantasies of of what a counsellor would look like and and we're challenging that which is which is great. There's, there's a call to action there that if we say that it's important to have um, a more representative therapeutic workforce then the ways into counselling and therapy as a career have to be opened up and have to be rethought because the fact is it is significantly white middle class women who are going and training because it's really expensive and it takes a lot of time. And um, obviously, you know, you need to take a bit of time, but we, ne we need to rethink how we do that because we're not going to see a change in the workforce if we carry on as the way we are. But as you say, you know, I think too often a culturally informed approach is seen as like a nice to have, but it's not really important. And actually what, what you guys are saying, what we're hearing again and again is that actually a culturally informed approach is the difference between people accessing support and benefiting from that support and not. So we, we can't kind of see it anymore as a nice to have. We have to really start taking these things seriously, I think. Yeah. Yeah, just as an option. And, and you know, I think it's important to recognise that, you know, just for example, if I if I want to, just because I might want to work with a female counsellor or a black counsellor, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to have the most beneficial experience with them. You know, this is just, this is just, um, I guess, a stepping stone towards my engagement. And actually, once I'm there, I'll have the experience and I'll be able to work that out for myself. But actually, if a barrier to me taking that step forward is that, a, the counsellor that I would prefer is not available then actually that's going to stop me from engaging so absolutely exactly what you said yeah that's that's a really helpful point before we move on sorry I, I wanted to mention one more yeah, thing yeah. about um the change that we'd like to see um and 
one thing that off the record is really good at is um, keeping in touch with young people. You know, of course, we need to keep in touch with young people to stay relevant because, you know, they are the experts on themselves. And um, so, yeah, we do have youth ambassadors, like I mentioned before. And um, we also had a young people say event which means once a month they would we would invite young people to to log in and give us feedback on ideas we've got or help co-design projects and sort of support offers um, and I think we're just really good at sort of thinking about what works what doesn't checking it out with young people going back to the drawing board um, and I think we're, we're really good and what has sort of been pivotal for us is we're really good at sort of recognizing and understanding that mental health support can come in so many different forms so as long as we're drawing on on our intelligence from the young people um, and we're asking ourselves okay what do we know about young people and mental health right now what is relevant what is sort of up to date what's cool um, what do they need and then thinking about how can we translate that into a support offer um, and we've done you know our I can give probably one or two examples which have been really key to us. Um, during the pandemic, I was speaking to a lot of uh, young men who, you know, during the pandemic, uh, Zoom was really popular. And oh, I can't remember the app that young people were on, but they'd all log into this sort of room and they'd all see each other. You know, they, they didn't want to log on and be seen by their friends. They didn't want to video call. They didn't want to go out for that walk that we were allowed daily um, because they noticed that um, because their hair was unkept, because they couldn't get to their hair products because all the shops were closed. They couldn't get to their hairdressers, to their, their barber to cut their hair, couldn't get their hair cane road. And they were just feeling really rubbish about themselves, you know, everything was outgrown and they just felt really messy and they, they didn't want to be seen so actually what we did is we created something called the no trim challenge um, and at the time there was a challenge that was really similar to that that we were drawing on where um, the, the actual challenge was where they would show themselves without makeup sort of really glowed down and then that would transition yeah, like the, into the glow up the no makeup selfie or no or something no, like that no, but that it was, was girls and guys yeah, but yeah, actually yeah. it was like that but we sort of turned it around so we we encouraged them to send pictures of them looking all the way you know glowed up and then it would transition into their sort of pandemic look and we sort of encouraged them to own it and just be proud and send you know send that in let everyone sort of embrace their no trim looks and um what we did for anyone who entered the challenge we we guaranteed that we'd pay for their first haircut as soon as sort of lockdown finished so that's amazing yeah and and I guess that sort of ticked so many boxes in a way because it our barbers our barbers network they were suffering um and then the, our young people were feeling really rubbish and at least especially then where financial issues were really key as well they didn't know if they'd have the means to pay for a haircut by the time they they were out of lockdown at least they know that was one less thing they had to worry about because we had it sorted we sort of we had their back for it um and that helped you know it's not necessarily us sitting down one-on-one -on -one. you know that video went far and wide at least around Croydon um and it helped we had some really good feedback from it and I was just going to add another thing because I'm thinking now as well is, is just what I think we're again a little bit different at is is kind of understanding and understanding that for instance we might have a session with someone booked for a certain time and understanding actually they've got caught today um, 
can we reschedule? Yeah, that's fine. Whereas maybe some services, they're a bit very rigid with it has to be this time, it has to be in this place. Yeah, where or, we kind or of, it's in three months' time. Yeah. Um, or sometimes even services, you know, they kick young people off because maybe they've missed one session or two sessions. So what we do is we say, look, I understand, I get it. You've got yacht or you've got, uh, you know, whatever it may be that's fine we can reschedule or we can do it next week um as long as it as long as it's not like we don't hear from you for like a, a long period of time we can keep you and still try and contact you and keep these sessions going basically i was just going to give one more example of of um a way that we offered support and as you can imagine we were speaking to a lot of young young men and women actually who were saying that they feel unsafe you know, or young people that were carrying knives because they felt that they may have to, they, they were unable to defend themselves. So we also created, we sort of partnered up, partnered up with one of our partners um, and offered self-defense workshops for young people to get involved in, um, you know, so just recognizing that these, is, you know, this is a contribution towards their their mental health you know we're actually helping them feel safer um, by providing some support in a different way yeah and again taking that holistic approach um, to people's whole lives rather than seeing mental health in a vacuum I mean I'd love to know sort of what what kind of things you've learned from working with these young people I would say that uh, I think what I just said before is like when you meet them on their level they're um, a lot more inclined to engage um, a lot more inclined to, to come back to the sessions and um, you know I think like we just we just we just treat them how I guess young people should be treated in it like you know I'm not saying we're like all groovy and hip and all that sort of stuff but we are kind of and because of that <laughs> because of that because of that they engage with us my learning my take from so the, this very specific work is a real appreciation I guess a real appreciation for the young people in their struggles I think you know sitting across from them uh, really getting a sense of of what's going on for them you know I think working out off the record in other services previous to, to working in the Chris service I probably took for granted what we understand as the sort of generic counselling model where people are referring themselves um, and the young people that we really want to support are young people who, um, you know, they have huge distrust in systems that we're, we're sort of fighting against certain stigmas or belief systems or attitudes towards counselling. And yeah, I think the amount of work we need to do before we even get to counsel, you know, we, we have to do pre-therapy, essentially, um, where we build a relationship, we sort of do in a way some reparative work because a lot of the young people we work with are um, known to social services they have social workers key workers um, and they've been let down by the adults in their lives so you know they're coming to us having acknowledged that they you know they could benefit with su with support um, you know they get to the point of sitting right in front of us they've sort of re referred or allowed a referral to, to take place but there's just an unbelievable fear underneath it all you know and and mm. um I guess like in no other service I've worked in um just really appreciating that these young people um you know their sense of safety is 
continuously undermined and yeah. and actually you know counseling is a place that they need to come and feel safe so it's an extra piece of work before we can even get to the piece of work and often if we manage to get through that initial pre-therapy stage if we still have them engaging and we manage to do a piece of, of therapeutic work with them oftentimes it's reparative it's it's wonderful really you know I'm speaking for them but my my sense is that it's really beneficial for them one of the things I've learned is obviously we're quite a big in Croydon but I think the importance is um smaller organizations because again what Chantel said in terms of trust a lot of these young people don't trust the system and because we're seen as one of the big organizations sometimes until they actually speak to us they there's that trust level isn't there so this is why again going back to the holistic approach of having links with jobs and having links with other organizations that do other stuff because there might be a young person who needs therapy but he's already engaging with another organization in Croydon um but they don't have they don't have counsellors or maybe then their knowledge of mental health isn't the best and because we're we kind of they know us um we work kind of closely with them they can say all right look we've got these this specific service we can um refer you to and because they've had that person who they already trust say look try off the record they're more inclined to um give counseling the go and then when again going back to it when then when we pop up, it's like, oh, okay, this is the counsellor kind of thing. Um, and then going right back to the start, um, what do we do after therapy? Because a lot of the times, yes, the therapy is great and they do come away from therapy with, um, you know, maybe feeling a little bit better than when they first came in, but what can we refer them on to? And that's why, again, we're working so hard to, work with the job center and work with certain organizations so that there are things after that i.e college or jobs or you know placements or um things that they can go into once the therapy is finished so it's it definitely the biggest biggest thing for me is that is the holistic approach is is something that we're really trying to adapt and bring into our work yeah and i just think it's so interesting what you're saying just that you're highlighting the fact that for a lot of people actually getting to the place where they are willing to have therapy is a massive step you know that i think sometimes we assume that people are just willing to talk about their feelings and 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 sometimes that's the case for people like me but for a lot of people um and especially if you're struggling with some really difficult stuff or you've got multiple issues going on actually it's not easy just to sit down and, and talk especially to a stranger about how you're feeling right i think the majority of people would say that and so acknowledging that on top of that you've got um a lot of distrust potentially in services and things that are seen as provided by the state of which the state can feel quite hostile you know recognizing all those layers that are essentially barriers to people getting support and and seeking to overcome those barriers by working in a different way is i mean it's just fascinating um i do say this a lot but i genuinely could carry on talking to you for for another half an hour or an hour we may have to in fact get you on for another session you guys because i think there's so much more we can talk about there's so much more i want to ask you and discuss around this work but for now i'll just say thank you the work that you guys off the record are doing is amazing we i'm so grateful that there are organizations like you meeting people um, where they're at and reaching people who aren't reached by other services and it's it's really exciting to hear about what you guys are doing. So thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having us. No problems. Hope you enjoyed this episode. 
To join our fight for equality in mental health, you can donate at www.centerformentalhealth.org.uk slash donate. See you next time.